know, Brother Stanley was talking about home or home home. You know, the fact of the matter is that everyone either watching online or maybe here in person, or maybe not even listening. You know, I would imagine the vast majority of people on earth expect to go home at the end of the day. Whether they're working, whether you're going to be leaving church, you expect to make it home. You expect to go back home. But what is also a reality that we don't often like to acknowledge or look at is that some will not make it home today. Some will go home, home. Some today will go home, home because of COVID. Some may go because of a car wreck or cancer or some freak accident. Where do you expect to go when you go home, home? Most of y'all probably seen on Facebook, and I've told a few of you starting this morning and over the next several services, I'm going to talk about expectations. And this morning, I specifically asked if Brother Stanley would work that song in, because I'm going to talk this morning about expecting heaven. Now, just like most people expect to go home at the end of the day, some will not, and they will instead go home, home. Another sad reality is that so many that expect heaven don't receive it. I know that might feel like it's uh, deflating. But look, I'm not here to tell you a word that will not build you up. I'm not here this morning to tickle your ears. Now, I am here to give you hope. And I believe that as I work towards the end of what I have, it should make you happy. If you are indeed one of those saved by grace, you ought to be shouting when you leave here this morning. But now if you are not one of the saved by grace, my hope and my prayer is that it will move you, that the Holy Spirit will rest upon you and move you to a place of repentance and submission to Jesus Christ. I've got a bunch of scripture this morning. I've got a lot to cover, so let me get into it. If you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, I'm just going to kind of use this as a base text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And as you find that, if you would stand, or if you would just like to read off of the screen, that'll be fine. Uh, We'll read these verses to kind of set the tone for expecting heaven. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, 
knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me read that again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. God, for the promise of your word. Lord, I thank you that there is no variance, that there is no change, but that when all else fails, your word stands, and we know that if we stand upon it, we can have your promises. God, I pray simply that what we do today would glorify and honor you, and that we could encounter the power of the Holy Ghost in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, expectations are not just a wish or an empty hope. It's something that you fully believe will happen and will come to pass. In other words, if you go to work, then your full expectation is that at the end of the pay period, you will receive money in return. You expect that when you go to work Monday through Friday, your expectation is that you will receive a pay for that week's work. On the other hand, if you've got a car finance sitting in your driveway, if you miss payments, your expectation is that the repo man is going to come knocking on your door. Because you know what has already been set and what has already been written down. You know the contract you signed when you went to work so you, in other words your expectations are based in reality they're based on what you know to be true so you expect that to come to pass in relationships if you show your spouse love and appreciation and attention you have the full expectation that that will be returned back to you. That if you love and appreciate and respect and honor your spouse, that they will also love, respect, and honor and appreciate you. That is a reasonable expectation. That is what you, after all, probably said in your marriage vows. It is based upon something that you know to be true or that you believe will come to pass. Creditors, when you go to buy a home or when you go to the car lot, those that are extending credit to you have the full expectation based upon your credit history, based upon your payment history, based upon your worthiness, that when they extend credit to you to purchase a house or a car, that you will make regular and timely monthly payments on the amount agreed upon until that debt is paid in full. That's an expectation. But likewise, you have no reason to expect some of these things if you have not done the prerequisite actions for them to happen. 
In other words, if you've got a job and you sign a contract that you would work X amount of hours for X amount of dollars per hour and you fail to uphold your end. In other words, you have called in sick, you're out of sick days, you decide just not to show up. You cannot expect to receive a check at the end of the day. If you make your car payments on time, you have no reason to expect the repo man to come knocking on your door. In relationships, if you've got a spouse that took an oath, a vow, before God and man to honor and respect you, but you also took that same vow before God and man, and yet you are mean and demanding and demeaning to your spouse, you cannot reasonably expect them to uphold their end. If a creditor does not extend credit to you, they have no reason to expect payment from you. If you say that you're going to an event, I'm going to go watch a football game in person, but you have not bought a ticket, you cannot expect to be allowed in. In other words, what I'm telling you this morning is, we have expectations. My guess would be that everyone in this house has an expectation of heaven. Why? Because you have come to church. You know that this is the place where we meet, where we learn about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has promised us heaven. I look across here and I don't think there is a face in here I have not preached to at some point. And therefore I know that you have been read the word of God and that you know the promises of God and that you know that those expectations must be grounded in reality. So what I'm saying is that you can expect heaven, but if you have not shown the love and appreciation, if you have not been purchased by the blood, if you have not made regular payments, if you have not, in other words, put in the effort and the work that is required by God in His Word of you to produce good fruit, you have no reason at the end of your life to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of of the Lord. In other words, you have to meet your obligations before you can reasonably expect heaven. But I figure most of us are probably expecting to enter the gates of heaven at the end of days. So I've got a question this morning. What are your expectations? Are they based in reality? Are they based in some fanciful notion within your head? I can tell you that what your expectations are are based both on what you have read in the Bible yourself and also other sources. In other words, your expectations are partly based on what you've heard me preach week after week. Your expectations are partly based on what mom and dad had told you. Your expectations are partly based on a multitude of things. But if you've got an expectation of heaven, then God has expectations for you as well. If you want God to accept you at the end of the days, then you absolutely must live by His Word. 
Now that's not popular, it's not going to get shouts, it's not going to get amens, but I'm here to tell you this morning that if you have walked into the doors of Mill Creek Church of God expecting to encounter heaven, then I have to inform you, I have to tell you this morning that for you to expect anything of God, you must live by His Word and not the Word and the will of the world and not the will and Word of your own heart. But what you must do is you must pick up your Bible, you must get into the Word of God. You must understand what He has said for thousands and thousands of years. What He has said will not change. It has not ever changed. It will never change in the future. In Hebrews 13 and 8 it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday. He was the same for David, for Moses, for Abraham, for Adam, for Eve, as He was for Peter and Paul and John and Andrew and Matthew and all of the rest, as He is for Steve, as He is for Stanley, as He is for anyone in here here, it does not change. His expectations do not change. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. But now I like better how Isaiah put it and then also Peter quoted, Isaiah said, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand for ever. If Isaiah found it to be true, then Peter found it to be true. Sometime later, I know that we also must in 2022 in this church find the same to be true. Peter said, for all grass, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. But we don't have to take Isaiah's word for it. We don't have to take Peter's word for it. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth. In other words, every star that you look up in the sky at at night is going to fade away. The sun that provides us warmth and light during the day is going to fade away. The moon that pulls the waters to and fro and provides a little bit of light at night that even man has walked on at some point, that's going to fade away. The house that you live in, the home that you expect to go back to this morning is going to crumble and burn and it's going to be gone. All of your family at some point will face death. The car is going to quit running. The dog and the cat are going to go away. Everything is going to fall away. Even this church building at some point will no longer stand because it says there is a new heaven and a new earth. All things old are passed away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But, now this is Jesus saying this. He said, but my words shall not pass away. Now here's the thing. We will change. We will change our stance and our views and our opinions on things. People will change from Republican to Democrat all the time. We'll take a firm stance against some kind of sin and then someone in our family does it and all of a sudden we'll get softened up on it. Now I'm not telling you that you don't need to still love them. I'm not telling you that you need to shun them and shove them away. I'm telling you, you cannot change your stance on something because someone close to you now does it. But we'll do that all of the time. 
Someone will have a son or a daughter come out. And all of a sudden now God finds homosexuality acceptable. That's not the case. He said it is not acceptable. His word never changes. But that don't mean you can't love them. That don't mean you can't have them over for Thanksgiving dinner. But it means you cannot change your stance on what the word of God is. But we'll change. We waver on our requirements. Last week we had to go to church. Because God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He has said that iron sharpeneth iron. If you're at home alone, that's only one piece of iron. It's not assembling yourselves together. It's not coming together to worship the Lord in communion and congregation. But this week, because of something going on, all of a sudden, I don't have to go to church. Last week, I needed to pay tithes because it says in the Bible that I am to pay tithes, both Old Testament and New, before the law and after the law. But now all of a sudden this week, because the repo man might come if I pay my tithes and I can't pay my car payment, it's okay, God understands. Don't look at me like I'm crazy because we've all been there at some point. I have been there at some point. On different things, we will change our minds and our understanding. But God does not change. What He required of Abraham, He requires of me. What He required of Isaiah, He requires of Brother Stanley. What He required of Peter, He requires for us today. He said, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? What he says stands of old, hast thou laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them and they shall be changed, but thou art the same and thy years shall have no end. Let me go back and read that again. That is Psalm 102, 25-27. Burn that into your spirit. Because he's talking about God and he said, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth. And all of them stars, everything you see in the heavens, all of the moon, the sun, the stars, everything, the air that we breathe, the bugs flying around in it, everything are the work of God's hands. Everything. But they all shall perish. But thou, God, shall perish endure yea all of them shall wax old like a garment you grab a garment out of the closet that's been in there and unprotected for 20 years and you go to put it on and you've put on about 20 pounds and those threads have gotten a little weak all of a sudden that garment just fades away you want a visual that helps you understand what's being said there it is and what do you do you change it The old's going to pass away and God's going to put a new heaven and a new earth. As a vesture shalt thou change them. And they shall be changed. But can I tell you this morning also that you need to be changed? I've got that here in a minute. But thou, God, art the same. 
We might have to change. This earth, this world is going to have to change. But his, his years have no end and he never, ever changes. Psalm 90 and 2 puts it before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Revelation 22 and 13 puts it this way. Jesus Christ said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. So I'm going to ask you again, and I've got some more information, some more scripture. What are your expectations? Are you expecting heaven at the last, at the end? Why do I ask you that? Because we're all going to face death. As I told you when I was starting out, there's home and there's home home, like Brother Stanley said. Some people today are going home home. Some people today will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe not in this church, maybe not even in this county, but across this world, many people today will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And what's worse... All have sinned. Hebrews 9, 27, As is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Everybody's going to face death. Romans 5 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Hebrews 9 and 28 is one of my favorites. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. You could just as easily look in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But I love Hebrews 9, 28. He was offered... He was offered a sacrifice, offered, to bear the sins of many. And I know that whosoever, but Hebrews makes it real clear. Unto them that look. Unto them that look for him shall he appear. Unto them that are chasing after Jesus day after day. Unto them that believe and stand upon the word of God and try to live it out day after day. Unto them that look for Him shall He appear. The second time, without sin unto salvation. You wonder why I say we are being saved, why we don't have full salvation until Jesus Christ steps back out on the cloud, until God has looked at him and says, Son, go get your bride right there. He shall appear a second time without sin unto salvation. When he comes back out, our salvation is complete. Until then, we are walking around in fleshly bodies. Until then, we are battling day after day. Until then, we have to make a conscious effort and decision to follow Jesus Christ. But that day, that day, everything is complete for those that are looking unto Him. At death, 
you change. At death, you change. In our text that I read this morning, and I kind of just use it as a jumping off point, but 5 and 1 is so very clear. We know that if our earthly house, our body, this tabernacle here, were dissolved, we have a building of God, if you're following after him. Genesis, in chapter 3, we have the fall of man, and it is clear that we are going to change in one way or another. Whether for better or worse, it says, In sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, unto dust thou shalt return. But can I tell you, that's not the final story. Your final story is not a casket. Your final story is not dust. Earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes is generally how we will do at a committal at a graveside. We commend the body that God has placed on this earth back to the ground and to Him. That casket is not the end of the story. You see, Paul in this text was so very clear that we labor so that whether we are present or absent, we may be ex accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive. That everyone may receive the things done in His body. Now, I know I'm going a little long this morning, but bear with me because I need to get to this last part. You see, at the end of days, when you have died, when your body is placed in the ground or cremated or whatever happens with it, it don't matter. God can restore and resurrect what He needs to because it's not going to be this body anyway. It's going to be a new body. The mortal is going to put on immortality and the corruptible is going to put on incorruptibility. It doesn't really matter. The very moment that you leave this earth, this body leaves this earth, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when that happens, he says, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But now there's going to be some that have lived out life on earth that had an expectation of heaven. And when they stand before the Lord, they're going to say, we cast out demons in your name and we healed the sick in your name. And Jesus is going to look at them and he's going to profess unto them is how it's worded. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that works iniquity. But now there's some, and I read the scripture to start, Matthew 25, 21 that will go up and they will be before the Lord on that judgment day. And what they will hear is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. What will you hear? What will you hear when you leave this earth? 
What will you be hearing as your family is laid over your casket, crying and mourning? What will you be hearing from the mouth of Jesus Christ? Your family will not hear what you hear. Your family will be busy crying and mourning. But you will be standing before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and you will either hear, depart from me, or you will hear, enter in. You can't have darkness in light. Also, Paul, 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18, starts out talking about being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But he goes on to say, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? You can do all the works in the church. You can pick up your Bible every day and read it. You can get down and say all the empty prayers you want. But if your life does not live for Jesus Christ, at the end of the day you will be declared unrighteous and darkness and you will not here enter in. You can expect heaven all you want, but if you don't hold up your end of the deal, your expectations will not be met with reality. We will be brought before Him. Now I imagine, this is just in my mind, that as we're walking up to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, there is going to be heaven come into view. We won't be able to see all of it, but surely as we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, around the sides of the throne, off in the background of heaven, we will be able to catch glimpses of things going on. I have to imagine that heaven is going to be in view, whether we're going to be able to enter in or not. And as we stand there, it'll be with bated breath. We'll be waiting to hear the verdict of Christ. And our anticipation will be unbelievable. Our expectations higher than ever before. What has only been heard of, read about, you will now see behind Jesus Christ. What has been described all of our life surely will exceed everything we could have ever imagined. Matter of fact, Paul says that, that I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So again, I, I've got to ask this morning, are your expectations realistic based on everything I just told you? Can you realistically expect when you're standing in front of Jesus Christ at the throne, right at the very throne of God, and He is looking at you and examining your life, and you are looking at the backdrop of heaven, what are your expectations? But now I love that part in the song, but for the saved by grace. 
If you have realistic expectations of hearing Jesus Christ say, enter in. For the saved by grace, do you understand that you are going to walk past the throne of Jesus Christ? You're going to walk through those gates of pearl. You're going to walk on streets of gold. And do you understand this isn't just something that popped in, something that God spoke into existence, but what you will be walking into is something that Jesus Christ made with His own hands. In John 14, He tells us that He is going to prepare a place for us. In other words, where we are going, if we are the saved by grace, when we walk down the streets of gold, it will be on streets that Jesus Christ made just for you to walk on. When you walk up to your final resting place where you will live out eternity, if it's got a doorknob on it, when you reach to turn it, that doorknob and the door and the frame and the floors and the walls and the windows and everything on it will be made just for you by the nail-scarred hands that hung on a cross to bleed to cover up your sins. You see, we want to see that. We want to see the eternal. Paul wanted to see the eternal. He didn't want to see the things that are temporal, the things that are seen. He wanted to see the unseen. We're the same way. We want to see the unseen. We're much like Paul was in Philippians. He said, For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Far better. This might upset some people, but I've got to say it. We want to go to heaven to see Grandma and Grandpa. We want to go to heaven to see Mommy and Daddy. We want to go to heaven to see this one and that one. If that's why you want to go to heaven, you're probably not getting there. And I also got news for you. Grandma and Grandpa ain't looking down over you as a guardian angel. They're too busy if they're in heaven. They're too busy at the very throne of God casting crowns of righteousness and worshiping the same Savior that you need to be trying to get to heaven to see. You don't need to go to heaven to see someone else. You're going to heaven to see Jesus Christ. You're going to heaven because He loved you enough to die for you. You want to go to heaven because you've lived your life for Him. You've not lived your life for someone else. I'm in a strait betwixt the two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. We want to see eternal. We want to see that place of total comfort and peace. I've got a couple passages out of Revelation. And then I'm, I promise I'm going to work on trying to get to a close. I promise. If you're saved by grace, this is the part that ought to make you happy. If you're not, I hope everything else I've said has prompted you, has opened your heart to allow the Holy Spirit to work on you. But if you are the saved by grace this morning, if you want to go to heaven to see Jesus, if you're living your life for Him because He gave His life for you, if you're the saved by grace, Revelation 7, 15 through 17, says, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. 
You will never again get up in the morning and feel like you're starved to death. You will never ever go to bed again at night wishing you had eaten a little bit more for dinner. There will be millions upon millions of kids that have died of starvation because they didn't have someone to give them food that will never have to worry about it again. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He's going to be right there. And all you'll have to do is reach out and take anytime you want. You'll never be hungry. You're never going to be thirsty anymore. Why? Because there will be a river of life. He is that river of living waters. He is the one that met the woman at the well. He is the one that can give you eternal life. He is the one that can give you something to drink from a well that you know not of that will you will never thirst again. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. It's always going to be comfortable. In heaven, it's never going to be too hot or too cold. You're not going to have to get up in the middle of the night to, to put some wood on the fire or coal on the fire. Or in our more modern times, reach over to a thermostat and click a button and hope you're seeing it right in the middle of the night. You're not going to have to worry about it. The sun's not going to come out and make the plants wither away. The sun's not going to come out and make you sunburn and make it difficult to lay in bed at night. Why? Because there will be no need of light in that city because the Son is the light thereof. You will be perfectly comfortable, perfectly fed, perfectly watered all of the time. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. My Lord, that ought to make you shout this morning that you're going to a place where the very Lamb of God that John the Baptist saw and declared and said, Behold, the Lamb of the God that takes away the sin of the world is going to be the one standing in front of you, feeding you, giving you water, holding your hand, and making sure you are tended to and taken care of. And shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters. And. Folks, that ain't all. That ain't all. Not only is Jesus Christ Himself who died for you and took away your sins and made everything that you're going to be looking at, everything that you're walking on, everything that you will touch, not only will He be the very one tending to your needs, but God the Father will reach down Himself and wipe away all the tears from your eyes every time you cried over a child, every time you cried over a lost loved one, every time you cried over anything, all of those tears are right there and God himself is going to reach down and wipe them away I like Revelation 21 almost the whole chapter and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with 
them. Today we come to church, and I don't know that it's always an expectation. We come to church hoping, sometimes it's an empty hope, that we can encounter God. We come to church because we might be able to feel something. But if you are the saved by grace, if you have lived your life for God, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, there will be no more empty hope. There will be no more wondering. There will be no more hoping for an encounter that something might happen. But when you walk into the gates of heaven, God Himself will be with you. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death. I've got a cousin right now that just come home on hospice yesterday. 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, had cancer. They've given no more treatment options. You think there's not tears shed over that death? But there's coming a day. There's coming a day that God Himself will reach down and wipe them away. And not just wipe them away, but will never give another reason for anyone in heaven to cry. There will be no more death, there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. There won't be any more chaos, there won't be any more loss, there won't be any more wishy-washy Christians, there won't be any more anything to make you sorrowful. But you will go about all the days of eternity, eternity that never ends, and you will be forever joyful, forever peaceful, forever happy, forever in the presence of God. And he that sat up on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh. The saved by grace. Those that have lived for God. Those that have endured to the end, the same shall be saved. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And, not only is God going to give you absolutely everything beyond what you could think or ask. How is it exceeding abundantly more than we can think or ask? Well, that's going to come to pass. That's going to be reality. There won't be nothing outside the grasp of your hands. But that's not even the best part of that verse. That's not even the best part. The best part is that He said by His own words that He will be our God and that we shall be His children. Now you can go down to verse 10. And John said, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven for God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high and had twelve gates. And at the gates, twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. The east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, the west three gates. 
And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. The city lieth four square, the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, fourth an emerald, fifth sardonyx, sixth sardius, seventh chrysolite, eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, tenth, Chrysopras, 11th, adjacent, 12th, Amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. I'd like to see that oyster. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Now, we like to talk about there's no sin allowed into heaven. But there's no impurity of any kind. Not even in the building materials, things that should have color, we come to understand here that it's impurities that make things colorful. That even those impurities are removed and what is gold is just as clear as something that is jasper because there's no impurity in heaven. And I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Take your Unitarian... Oneness ideology out the window. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. But this right here, and this is where I'm going to move to a close. The city has no need of the sun. Neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. We like to come and we like to feel a little bit of glory. We like to come and we like to be laid out in the Spirit. We like to come and we like to praise and worship and run. And we like to speak in tongues. And we like to do all of these things because it is representative of the glory of God. It is representative of the power of the Holy Ghost. But there is coming a day for the saved by grace that have a realistic expectation of heaven that there is going to be a time when all we have all the days of our life is the glory of God. And the light of the Lamb. What are your expectations this morning? I'm not even going, I've got more scripture for my clothes, but I'm not going through them. What are your expectations? What are your expectations? Can you realistically expect to walk up and catch? views of heaven in the background of Jesus Christ and expect to hear Him say, enter in and walk on those streets of gold. Those walls of all of the different stones. Walk through a gate of pearl. Not just to enjoy the beauty, but to go from the throne of, uh, of the Lamb to the throne of God and worship. You say you're expecting heaven. I've told you how to get there.
You say that you have expectations from God. I've told you, He's got expectations from you. If y'all will come and play something. I just simply want to open the altars this morning. I've posed the question, you know what is required and needed of you. I would encourage you to come and make sure that your expectations will be met. My altar call that morning, this morning is that simple. Come and make sure your expectations will be met. The altars are open.